0: kind of uh, chickened out this morning during the sharing time, and my son, while some of you were sharing pray requ- prayer requests, walked back to me and said, Dad, we need to pray for the two boys that were missing from Millbrook. And I said, I don't really know what the details are, but I know he came home from Hope Valley quite disturbed one day that they had been praying for two boys, and does anyone know the details? Okay. 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 I can tell Jack his prayer was answered before we even had to mention it. Excellent, excellent. I'm going to date some of you or make you date yourself uh, by asking you a question here. How many of you remember the show Green Acres? Okay. I see some of you who definitely are of the age that should say yes, you do remember the show and you're you're trying to pretend you're really young because I do know that you would know. There we go. So, so Arnie remembers the show. Well, if you want to see a modern day example of Green Acres, you just need to come to my house. Uh, because if you don't know what Green Acres was, it was a show about a husband and wife who had no uh, business owning a farm, having a farm. Uh, He was a businessman and she was, I guess, from the upper crust of society uh, and had quite a funny show as you watched week after week their experiences on the farm. And I lovingly refer to our hobby farm as Green Acres because we have no business owning animals or trying to do anything with our fields, and yet we have done so for the last 10 years and have given many sermon illustrations uh, for my file through some of the stuff that's happened. Uh, But I've actually impressed myself to the extent that I will go when it comes to uh, caring for the different animals that we've had over the last uh, 10 years that we've been there. And I've shared with you stories, but the stories keep coming. And although I tell Allison I've got limitations, there are certain things I will not do. She keeps telling me that she's going to stretch me. And I find myself doing things that I never imagined that I would uh, have done. And so this week, uh, Allison told me that she would like to buy some goats. And I told her, if you're getting goats, I don't want anything to do with them, which I should have reminded myself yesterday as I was chasing them back into uh, the barn. Uh, But I told her, if you're getting goats, you've got to get rid of all the ducks and you got to get rid of the geese. And uh, so she agreed to. And so here I am Friday morning. There's a guy coming to pick up 18 six-week-old ducklings that are like halfway to being full size. And I said, Allison, how are we getting rid of the mother and going to catch these ducklings and put them in a big box? And she said, oh, we can do it. And so at 6.30 Friday morning, we are out in the barn, both of us terrified that this mother goose or mother duck, Muscovy duck, is going to attack us as we try to steal all of her ducklings and put them in a box. And so at about quarter to seven, if you came to our house, you would have found me running across one of our fields chasing one of the ducklings that had gotten out of the barn. Uh, But we finally got them all in the box. And I said, and this was a barbecue box an empty barbecue box, and I said, you know what's going to happen? Oh, they f- the, the ducklings were quite happy, and I said, but it's going to happen. This guy's going to show up in a Honda Civic, and guess what he showed up in? Honda Accord, two-door. Not a chance that box was going to fit, so we had to move them into smaller boxes, and if you were at my house at about 7.15, you would have caught me chasing a duckling across our field as it escaped from the one box to the next. So, as I said, I I impress myself to the extent I'll go for our animals, for their care, protection, uh, but I have my limitations. I really do have my limitations. And and I know, I guess if there's a scale between poor farmer and and great farmer, I'm probably somewhere in the middle as far as how I would see my care and and, uh, uh, supplying the needs of the animals that we have. And I know that there are people who are great farmers, who, who go, t- the sky's the limit for their care for their animals, right? Tanya, with your horses. Tanya, if you saw how she takes care of her horses, she is a great farmer. But there's also poor farmers, and they're the ones you read about in the newspaper, or you hear about on the news, they're being uh, charged with animal cruelty uh, and things like that. And you're going, when in the world am I sharing this with you? We're in a series this summer, if if you're visiting with us today or you've forgotten, uh, and our series is Jesus Said What? And we're looking at some of the profound, provocative, countercultural things that Jesus said, and the verse that I'm looking at today is a very well-known verse, especially the second part of the verse. Second part of the verse is Jesus saying that I've come, that they might have life, and that they might have it to the fullest. And we use that verse, at least that part of a verse, often when we're presenting the gospel to people. But one of the things that I have pushed the people who have participated in the series this summer with is context. Don't just take the verse. Don't just take the statement. Make sure you are preaching the statement within the context that that statement falls. And even the greater context. And so this week I found myself pushing myself with my own rule context, context. And I found myself going further and further and further away from John 10, verse 10, which is in the bulletin. And I found myself considering the first 21 verses of John 10. And I found myself in John 9, because I found something really provocative and profound. And that is Jesus refers to us as sheep which really isn't that flattering if you know what sheep are like. But then we read that there is a perfect shepherd. Not just a great shepherd, it's a perfect shepherd. And in John 10, Jesus himself claims to be not only the true shepherd of the sheep, but the good shepherd of the sheep. And by implication, he's the great shepherd of the sheep. And so this morning, I want to take a look. I'm going to try to stay within John chapter 10. We may fall into John chapter 9 a little bit, and I'll explain why. But as I looked at those first 21 verses, and we're going to read John 10 verses 1 through 21 as we go through the text, as I go through my message. But as I consider the text, a couple of things were quite glaring to me. One is it's a long text, especially if you start slipping back into John chapter 9. It's a long text I don't really know a whole lot about shepherding or sheep. It's one of the animals that Aunt Allison hasn't decided she wants yet. And so I don't know anything about uh, sheep. But when I read the passage, a couple of other passages come to mind. One, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. All of us know that passage. Even people that don't go to church know Psalm 23. It's a popular passage. It's read at funerals. It's read when people are struggling, when people need comfort. And it's a favorite chapter of the Bible uh, to go to and is very reassuring for those of us who are followers of Jesus to know that the Lord is our shepherd. And in John chapter 10, Jesus assumes the role of the shepherd of the sheep. But there's another passage that comes to mind as well, and it's not as flowery of a passage. And that's Ezekiel 34. We're not going to take the time to read it, but in Ezekiel 34, God is rebuking the evil, wicked shepherds, the leaders uh, of Israel. And in quite a long passage, what God is saying is, there is going to come a day when I'm going to judge you. And I myself will gather my scattered flock under the person of the Messiah. And as you go through the pages of Scripture, and as Scripture unravels, we see that this promised Messiah that God will gather his scattered flock under is none other than Jesus himself. And in John chapter 10, Jesus makes the bold claim, I am the promised good shepherd. And in contrast to the the character and the quality of my shepherding, he exposes the evil shepherds, the religious leaders, especially in this case, the Pharisees, who didn't really give a rip about the people of Israel. Who are more concerned about feeding themselves at the expense of those who are hurting and those who are needy. They didn't protect them from predators. Rather, they preyed on them themselves and they they heaped insult and, and hurt on these people. And Jesus says, no, I'm the good shepherd. And you're going to see Pharisees when I talk about the quality and the character of my shepherding, that there's a huge difference. And what Ezekiel talked about, God was talking about you. But what brings about this rant why was Jesus all over the Pharisees in John chapter 10? Well, that brings us to John chapter 9. And the praise team shared with us the first part of that story. And you know the story. Most of you would. You'd know it from Sunday school. The healing of the blind man from birth. And Jesus heals this blind man. And before, that, before he heals him, the disciples say, well, why is he blind? Is it because of his sin, somebody else's sin? And Jesus says, no, it's not because of anybody's sin. He's blind so that the greatness of God, his healing power will be demonstrated in this person. And so Jesus heals him. And this blind man can now see and his neighbors and those who knew him as the blind man who was always begging, who couldn't see, uh, they they actually had a debate over whether it really was him or not because he can now see. And so they bring him to the Pharisees to investigate. And this all took place on the Sabbath and, and the Pharisees would love to have any reason to go after Jesus And so this was a good starter. And you have to understand something about the Pharisees. They kind of saw themselves as the religious elite. Uh, They were part of a private club. Those who had gained access into the kingdom of God. And they had uh, uh, deemed themselves as the people who looked after membership. They determined who made the cut to be part of the kingdom of God. And understand this, this blind, blind man, he would have been totally written off already. But now he can see. And the Pharisees are investigating him. They're looking for reason to, to accuse Jesus of something. And so they investigate and They start talking to this blind man. They talk to his parents. And because this blind man refuses to cooperate with the Pharisees, and because he shows, uh, points out the inconsistencies of, of the, the Pharisees' own teaching and understanding, John chapter 9 tells us that the Pharisees threw him out of the synagogue. And literally what it meant is that this, this blind man, who they'd already written off anyways, he as far as they were concerned, they had threw him out of any chance of ever being part of the kingdom of God, of, of the fold, as far as the Pharisees were, Pharisees were concerned. But little did the Pharisees know that they were throwing this blind man who could now see into the arms of Jesus. And Jesus leads this now uh, seeing man into the flock of God by faith. And so it's no wonder that by the time you hit John chapter 10, Jesus has turned to the topic of shepherding. And he's going to point out why he is the true good shepherd And by implication, he is the great shepherd. And in contrast, the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day were evil shepherds. They were false teachers who only meant harm uh, for their people. As you can imagine, there's all sorts of things that we could talk about this morning, there's all sorts of directions I could take with this text. But, But for our purposes this morning, I just want to look at those claims of Jesus that he is the true shepherd. That he is the good shepherd, and when we understand that, we'll see why he is the great shepherd. And so open your Bible if you've got one. If not, grab a pew Bible to John chapter 10, and let's start working our way through the passage. And I want us to see and to understand what Jesus means and how it uh, applies to us and the implications it has uh, to us in these claims that he makes here. And so John chapter 10, verse 1 through 5 Jesus is going to point out that he is the true shepherd. And he says, Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the door for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will, return, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. And so Jesus uses a, a pastoral scene that would have been very common for those who were listening to him and for the first century readers In any city or village, there would have been a number of flocks. There would have been a number of shepherds. And at night, the shepherds would bring his or her flock of sheep to a common gatefold for convenience. Uh, And there would be a gatekeeper. Maybe it was... Shepherds on rotation, or maybe it was someone who was hired. And the shepherd would bring his flock of sheep, or her flock of sheep, and present the sheep to the gatekeeper. The gatekeeper would open the door, and the sheep would go in, and that's where they would stay for the night. And there would be a number of flocks. Within uh, this sheepfold, and then in the morning, the shepherd would return, present him or herself to the gatekeeper. The gatekeeper would recognize them, would open the door. The shepherd would call his flo- his or her flock, and the flock would come running out uh, to the shepherd. And so Jesus is using this scene to explain how he is the true shepherd. But the question that we got to ask is, what what is it that makes Jesus' claim to be the true shepherd, legitimate. Because throughout the history of the church, throughout history, there's been all sorts of people who have come and claimed that they are the true shepherd, that they are the person that people should follow. And we know from the history of the church the disaster and destruction that's taken place as people have fallen for the lies uh, and the error in the ways of those who have made this claim. So why is Jesus... Legitimate in his claim that he is the true shepherd. And Jesus gives uh, s- several reasons why it is legitimate. And the first reason is, is that he went through the right door, he walked right through the door to access the sheep. And you're probably going, okay, what does that mean? Well, let me explain. If someone was to enter a building through any other means other than the proper way through the door, we'd probably think that something was up, that something wasn't right. Have you ever been watching your neighbor's house? You know that they're away and someone pulls into their driveway and you're peeking through the drapes and you're wondering, is that person supposed to be there? Is that person going to break into the house? You watch the person walk up to the stairs and then to the door of your neighbor who is away and you're highly suspicious, but you see them pull a key out of their pocket. And open the door. And all of a sudden, oh, okay. I don't know who they are, but they're going in the right way. Most, I'm assuming my neighbor has asked them to check uh, on the house. But if that person walked up to the door and looked around and then put a hammer through the window, you know that something wasn't right. That, that, that something something was up. I remember at high school, one of the things we loved to do, when we had a supply teacher, we had about 10 portables at the high school in Toronto that I was at. And these windows I could fit probably lengthwise through uh, the windows on the portable. And what we would do is when the supply teacher had his or her back to us as a class, we would go through the window, just one at a time, and then come around the side of the portable and walk in the door. And at first you could tell the supply teacher was going, weren't you just sitting in here? Okay, I guess I thought wrong. Well, after two or three students have done this, you can just see the teachers go, okay, something's not right. S- something is up. And Jesus is saying here that I'm the true shepherd because I go through the door. I go through the gate to access the sheep. In other words, I have come the normal, the expected, the predicted way. And if we were to go through scripture, we would see how prophecy has shown how this promised Messiah, this good shepherd, was to come. And Jesus fit the bill. And so Jesus came, and he was able to access the flock the way that was predicted, the way that was expected. There was nothing about the way Jesus has accessed the flock that should cause us to say, something's up. Something doesn't seem right. There's something else right at the very start of chapter 10. It's a little bit of an aside, but I think it's really important for us to notice. I don't know what translation you're using, but verse 1 says very truly uh, in the NIV. Your Bible might say truly, truly, or it might say verily, verily, uh, I tell you. And when you see that in Scripture, that is telling you to sit up and take notice because something really important is going to come out. And so Jesus says, very truly, sit up, take notice. Anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by any other way is a thief and a robber. Jesus wants to understand the danger of false teachers, of false and evil shepherds. I was reading in a commentary as I was studying this passage of a seminary class somewhere in the States. And what they did was they took one whole semester to study the New Testament to see what truth, what virtue, what instruction was given more than any other one. And to their surprise, they found that it was the warning against false teachers that was at the top of their list. A couple of weeks ago I had the opportunity to preach outside of the church uh, and I was sharing the passage that I had spoken on a number of months ago about Peter's denial three times uh, of Christ. And I was sharing with this crowd that, that Satan's Satan's biggest wish is to destroy the lives of believers. That he wants to sift us. He wants to shake us. He wants to turn our life upside down. He wants us to turn our eyes off Jesus. He wants to... He wants to put a wedge in between us and God and us and each other and us and our church. He wants to destroy our lives. And one of the ploys, one of the ways he does this is that he gets his agents who look a lot like us, who talk a lot like us, but who are just slightly off to permeate us and to lead us astray. And obviously, this, a little aside could go on and on and on, but it just tells me the importance for each one of us to be grounded in, in, in the foundational doctrines of our faith so that we, we can um, see a false teacher a mile away. And for those of us in leadership in the church, it, it, it shows me how important it is that we too need to be grounded in the foundational doctrines of Scripture so that we can refute error. And that we can teach truth. So enough of that little rant. But but Jesus is saying, I'm the legitimate true shepherd. Because I go through the gate to access the sheep. And then in verse 3, he says, And the gatekeeper opens the gate for him. And the sheep listen to his voice. And the second thing Jesus says, I'm the legitimate true shepherd because the gatekeeper recognizes me. And here Jesus is referring to John the Baptist. John the Baptist, who was before Jesus preparing the way, making sure people understood that he wasn't the Messiah. He was just preparing the way. And you remember what G- John said when he saw Jesus, behold the Lamb of God. And so Jesus says, the gatekeeper, John the Baptist, will recognize me and he will step aside. And then he continues in verse, the end of verse 3 through 5. He says, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. And what Jesus is saying here, I'm the legitimate true shepherd because there's voice recognition. And he points out four different markers or or characteristics of that voice recognition. And the first thing that Jesus says is that it's personal. Jesus calls his sheep by name. And that tells me that that is where and how the transaction takes place. It's personal. That God calls us by name. You know, I think of that poor blind man. He must have figured it was just going to be another day sitting in his blindness, begging people for whatever they would give him. Little did he know that that day Jesus was going to call him by name. And I think of the people that come through our church and the people that we have the opportunity to rub shoulders with, that today, tomorrow, might be the day that Jesus is calling them by name. And maybe you're here this morning and you know Jesus is calling you by name. Are you going to follow And some of us are going to have the opportunity to talk to people tomorrow and this week. I think some of of you uh, youth who are involved with Hope Valley, you've got all these kids that you're dealing with. Jesus is calling them by name, and you've got the privilege of being part of that uh, ministry. And so it's a personal call. And then Jesus says that I, I lead them out, and what is really cool is this same phrase is what is used in John nine when it says the Pharisees threw the, the now uh, seeing man out of the synagogue. Jesus says, "I bring them out he brings He brings us out of darkness and into light, and then he says, "And I go before them." How comforting to know that Jesus, our true shepherd. Goes before us, because that tells me there can be no whoops moments. There can be nothing that happens to us where Jesus, our true Shepherd, who goes before us, is going to say, "I never saw that happening." I declaimed this a couple of days ago. I found myself in a really stressful situation with work, and I said to Allison, "I don't know what God is trying to teach me." I'm so thankful I'd really had had immersed myself in this passage and I remembered, Jesus, you go before me. Nothing is happening to me that you don't already know about. And you're going to teach me something. I'm going to grow. I may not like it, but you go before me. And so he called me by name And he took me out of darkness into light and he goes before me. And then finally it says that he calls out to the sheep and they recognize his voice and they trust him. They they follow him. That describes what happened to me. That describes what happens to all of you who are followers of Jesus. He has called you. He's taken you out of darkness. He goes before you. He calls you. You have responded and you trust him and you follow him. And I know that that's true of me on paper. But how many times is not true of the way I live my life? Because I know I'm not following him. I'm following all the other voices, my own voices, the voices of the world. And I follow it instead of following Jesus. And I put my trust in, in my own ways and my own thoughts of how things would be best to be instead of the the things that jesus wants for me it reminds me of a phrase john calvin he writes uh, this passage what we just looked at this passage ought to strike us with the deepest shame first because we're so ill accustomed to the voice of our shepherd that there are hardly any who do not listen to it with indifference and next, because we're so slow to follow him. Lastly, as soon as the voice of any stranger has sounded in our ears, we are hurried to and fro, and this lightness and unsteadiness sufficiently shows how little progress we have hitherto made in the faith. That's a real challenge to me, because Jesus is our true shepherd, and he has called us, and he calls us us to follow him uh, in trust, and may God help us uh, as we endeavor to do that with his help and with the the empowerment of the Spirit. So Jesus is the true shepherd, but then Jesus also makes a claim that he is the good shepherd, and we see that uh, beginning in verse 6. Verse 6 says, Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Well, of course, the Pharisees didn't understand because they didn't want to understand. They only wanted to hear from Jesus the things that would line up uh, with their own agenda and the things that uh, they thought were the how things uh, should be. Uh, verse 7, therefore Jesus said again, very truly, you heard those words again, right? Very, verily, verily, truly, truly, I tell you, Jesus is going to say something really important, so, so hear it, I am the gate for the sheep. And we're going to see what Jesus is saying is, I am the only way by which you access the kingdom of God. And can you imagine the Pharisees listening to this? They're the membership committee. They're part of the elite club of the, those who have, who have gained access to the kingdom of God. And here's this Jesus who just healed somebody on the Sabbath. And he's saying that he is the only way through which someone gains access into the kingdom of God. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Whoa. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. And you notice in verses one through five, Jesus is talking in the third person Now he's gone to the first person. I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd that was promised way back in Ezekiel 34. I'm the one that God is gathering the scattered flock under. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. Only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. And so Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. And he explains a couple of ways that we see this goodness. And the first way is that he is the gate for the sheep, which is a really confusing phrase. Because how is a shepherd a gate? Let me explain. During the day when the shepherds would have their sheep out in the field and it was time for the sheep to rest, often a shepherd would kind of make a pen. Whether it was using rocks or whether it was just using shrubs that were already growing or the edge of of a cliff or whatever it might be, they would create a pen that would have an opening. And across the opening, the shepherd would lie. And so, the only way that a sheep could go in and out would be through the shepherd. And so, the the shepherd became the gate. And so, what Jesus is saying here is, I am the gate. It's through me that a person has access to the kingdom of God. It's only through me that a person is saved. It's only through me a person has the chance to to experience the blessings of God in all of its fullness, and so Jesus makes this huge claim: "I'm the gate; I am the only way to experience life and life in its fullness." Yeah, you know, I think every shepherd every farmer, but every shepherd, since we're talking about sheep, their greatest desire for their sheep would be that they would enjoy sheep life to its fullest. That they would enjoy security, protection, green grass, lots of water, soft place to sleep at night. That's the Lord's desire for us. That we would experience the life that God intends us to experience. Until so Jesus says, it's only through me, the gate, that a person is saved. And that's not just saved from our sin. It's not just saved from eternal separation from the Father. It's saved from a wasted life because it's through Jesus that we have the opportunity to gain access to all the blessings and all the riches and all the resources that God wants us as his children to enjoy and to experience and to utilize. But how is it possible? How is it that Jesus can be the only way by which we can be saved and gain access to the kingdom of God? And this is the second place that we see it, Uh, thing that Jesus says about his goodness is I lay down my life for my sheep you know one of the knocks against a shepherd was that they had to live amongst unclean animals that's why they couldn't participate in so much of what was going on but isn't that the story of scripture that God the son left heaven to live amongst unclean people he didn't just live amongst us he loved us unto death i i I understand how this hired worker in john chapter 10 thinks because i tell you i wouldn't give my life up for none of my animals if there was a truck barreling down our road and my goat was on the road i would not throw myself in front of the goat I'd probably grab our other two goats and line them up in time. I would not give my life for any of my animals. Don't tell Allison. I can't think of many humans that I would throw my body in front of a bullet for. And yet the story of Scripture, the good news of the gospel, is that that Jesus gave up his life while we were yet ungodly, wicked, at enmity. He gave up his life, and it says, I give up my life, and and that's not the words of a weak person. There's authority in that. I made the choice deliberately to give my life for my sheep. And that's not where the story ends. The story doesn't end with a slaughtered shepherd amongst the wolves. But later, and that's why I kept reading in John 10, Jesus says, I have the authority to give my life away and I have the authority to take it back. Jesus, our good shepherd, laid down his life for his sheep and then he rose from the dead. Validating everything he said about himself, everything that he did. And by implication, making Jesus the true shepherd and the good shepherd, the great shepherd shepherd. He's the great shepherd, and we see it in those last few verses I read because of the scope of his ministry. He says, the Jewish people, they aren't the only sheep that I'm bringing into the pen. Remember Mary and Joseph marveled when Simeon explained the scope of the ministry of Jesus? He was going to gather the sheep from all the folds and bring all the different flocks And bring them into his fold. The scope of his ministry is huge. Because he's the great shepherd. Jews and Gentiles will be brought into the kingdom of God. Through the person and work of Jesus. And then there's all those last few verses. That I want to just quickly read to you. And just make one point. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said he is a demon. Said he is demon possessed. And raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, These are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Jesus is the great shepherd because he has become the dividing line for all of humanity. Why should we listen to him? Why should we follow him? And there are those who are going to choose not to follow him. There are, give me, those who choose not to enter through his gate into salvation. there'll be those who will. And if you're here this morning and and, and you're hearing that, that, that question is so valid and so relevant. Will you listen to him because he's calling you by name right now? And will you enter into the kingdom of God through what he has done for you? Praise to him.